Um, look quickly a little bit about me. My name is Drew. Um, married into the Anderson family, so pray for me. <laughs> Getting it's, it's been a blessing. Uh, my wife and I, Erica, we have three kids. So Judah is almost going to turn five. Eden is our middle child, and we just had a little baby, Eleanor. We call her Nora. She's six months old. So we are busy, but we are in loving life right now. Um, I was thinking about this today. Eight years ago this fall, uh, the very first, what would eventually be Communitas, uh, met eight years ago this fall. And for something like this, as, as, as organic and as um, loose as this is, and there's structure, don't get me wrong, but Paul holds this really open-handedly. I know that about him. And for something like this to happen for eight years um, is an undeniable move of God. Amen. I mean, it has God's fingerprints all over it. Um, the Holy Spirit shows up week after week after week for eight years. Um, so that's a wonderful thing. I still remember that f- the first time I came, fall of 2005, yeah, fall of 2005, um, sitting right above where we are right now and on the couch, um, walked in, didn't really know what I was getting myself into, um, and Paul said the words, um, you have a destiny in Christ. And nobody had ever talked about God like that before, um, and that has rang true with me for the last eight years. I'm sure you, maybe you've, if you've been here for any amount of time, you've probably heard him say that yourself, um, that you have a destiny in Christ. So I just want to thank Paul and Karen for continually opening their home to our family and to this, this big family. So we love you guys very, very much. Love Communitas. Um, I had a chance to go. By the way, you guys have a great website. There's like churches of thousands of people that have way worse websites than you guys have. So it's so a way to go, Andy. That, that's, that's, a, that's a nice website. <laughs> Andy. I had a chance to go on the website this week and kind of see um, where you guys have been the past few weeks. You guys have had some good teaching the last month. I'm sure it's farther than that as well. Um, that's I look back and learn a lot about the Holy Spirit. Is that right? So I look back. It looked like Paul McKenzie brought a word on fellowship with the Spirit about three weeks back. And then um, Paul bringing a word on speaking in tongues and the importance of that. And then last week with Ben Fisher talking about walking in your calling. Ben, I listened to that message today. I don't know if you're down here anymore. Um, man, that was a blessing. Thank you um, for speaking that message. And I really want to see um, this week as kind of a continuation, keeping in mind everything you've learned. One of the kind of the hallmarks that I build my life and ministry around at home um, and at Northwestern and as I'm walking and just ministering, um, the foundation is that there is literally no area of my life that the gospel of Jesus Christ should not have influence over. And at the same time, we really spend the rest of our lives partnering with the Holy Spirit um, to see that worked out, right? So it's a pro- we're all in process, amen? Um, some of us more in process than others in different seasons of our lives. Um, and we just we want to work with Jesus, work with the Holy Spirit to surrender the totality of who we are um, to his gospel work in the Holy Spirit in us. I pray that I never become tired of searching out the implications of the gospel in my life. I pray that I never cease to become amazed with the reality of God, God becoming man, right, coming to earth, making a way for me to get to him when there was no way, ma- literally making me alive when I was dead. <laughs> uh, I pray that I never cease to be amazed. I, I believe that the gospel gives life where there is death, gives hope where there is hopelessness, gives joy where there is mourning. And I think everyone in this room would say yes and amen to all that. Amen. amen. And I think one of the areas um, that we as the, ch- as the church um, have really struggled in, um, I think there's some confusion in the church and even, honestly, some deception within the church um, about how the gospel influences suffering. Um, it, it's a really big deal. We have, to, we have to get this nailed down. How does... Ask the question of yourself. If I was to answer the question right now, how does my belief in Jesus affect my view of human suffering? How do I reckon with that? You see, there's, there's a lot of dangerous 
I would say, deceptive teaching in the church these days, essentially telling Christians that because of our faith in Jesus, right, suffering is no more on this earth. As if the atonement of Christ on the cross was based around my health, wealth, and happiness on this earth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show my cards right away. I believe that's straight up false. Okay, that's, that's the message I'm starting with this morning, this, this evening, that I, I don't believe that is true. Jesus did not die to make me happy. Jesus did not die to make me wealthy, did not die to make me healthy, per se. So I need to say that, do I believe that Jesus heals? Yes, absolutely. Do I believe we should pray for for the Holy Spirit, for God to touch our bodies in healing? Yes. Do I believe that God can give financial blessing? Yes. My wife, our family has experienced the the blessing and healing of God in our lives. So yes, and amen. We should pray for those things, and we'll get into that. But at the end of the day, we're going to suffer. And the way I like to put this, basically, is that we need, as Christians, to commit ourselves to think biblically about suffering. To think how God thinks about our suffering. Because, And I believe the Bible teaches that the mark of a Christian, okay, the mark of a Christian is not that we won't suffer. The mark of a Christian is how we endure our suffering. So the, the difference between Christians and non-Christians is not suffering and not suffering, right? The difference between Christians and non-Christians is, for non-Christians, it's honestly suffering with no purpose. And as Christians, we suffer with purpose. And what I want to do tonight is kind of give what I see as a, a kind of a biblical theology of suffering and God's redemptive purposes in the midst of suffering. Okay? So where I want to start tonight um, is Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those. If you have your fake Bible on your phone, open that up too. And after Matthew 7, go ahead and put your uh, put a finger in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where we're going to spend the majority of our time. We're going to be hopping all over the place tonight. A lot of scripture, but primarily in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Just a handout there for you guys. Um, if you want to take some notes, feel free. The scripture references are all right there. It's okay. Got it. There's kind of an outline there for you as we're going to walk through this idea of suffering as Christians, as the body of Christ. This message will also be online. The, I'll have the transcript of it online, too. If you have any questions, I'd love for you to get a hold of me. Um, any, any disagreements, I'd love to talk to you about those. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus tells, a, tells a, a parable, a story, that I'm guessing you all know well. I'll be reading out of the ESV tonight. I'm sure you all have different translations. But here's, here's how it goes. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who builds his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built this house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now we could take this story that Jesus tells and and do a lot of different angles on it, look at it differently, but what I want you to see tonight, what I want us to see is that no matter where you build your house, okay, rock, sand, no matter where you build your house, the storm is going to come. There's no such thing as building your house in a storm-free zone, okay? The storm is going to come. And that's, to me, that's the whole point of the parable. That's the whole point of tonight because we live in a broken world, amen? We, I mean, just in the last few months, natural disasters, tornadoes, bombs, wars, Unbelievable tragedies, right? 
Sin causes suffering. Some of you are suffering um, because of the sin of people in your life, Christians and non-Christians, right? We all cause other people to, to suffer with our sin. Just ask my wife, okay? She will tell you my sin causes her to, to, to suffer, all right? My suffer, don't get me wrong, is nailed to the cross. I don't bear the, the, the weight of the wrath that I have stored up for me because of my sin anymore, but does it still bear earthly consequences? Yes. Yes, it does. And then, we haven't mentioned the devil yet, right? His mission from Scripture is very, very clear. Steal, kill, destroy the body of Christ. So we have all these factors that are basically going to cause us to suffer. And at the end of the day, suffering will find us. And some of you, you know what I'm saying, because you're, you're there now, right? Some of you are there now. And maybe you've been there and you're going to be there. And again, I'll say this again because I really believe this. The mark of a Christian is not will we suffer, but how will we suffer? How will we be found when suffering comes our way? Um, so go ahead and turn to Second Corinthians chapter 4. I want to pray. Before I do that, I really want to give kind of some um, ground rules, disclaimers for this talk. Um, just things to keep in mind as we're going through this. Number one, please know and trust that my aim tonight is not to minimize your suffering. Um, many of you are going through things that the rest of us couldn't hope to understand. Many of you are going through things that the rest of us couldn't hope um, to have experienced in our lives. Um, so don't walk away from here tonight feeling like I said that your suffering is not significant, because it is, that your suffering is not painful, because it is, and that your suffering is not real, because it is. Number one. Number two, if you tonight are in any kind of relationship or circumstance where you are suffering abuse, psychological, emotional, physical, sexual, any other kind of abuse, do not walk away from tonight thinking that you have to stay in that abuse. Amen? So do not take from this talk tonight that God is trying to do something in you and through you in your abusive relationship. I, I pray that tonight would be your first steps towards freedom from that abuse. Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody here. Talk to a pastor or elder at your church. Talk to a friend. Talk to somebody, okay? Get yourself out of that abuse. And third and finally, I'm going to say some things. Um, we're going to talk about what God has to say about, uh, about suffering. There's a lot of things that the world can offer that are helpful. Counseling is helpful. Medication is, is, an, is a good thing. It can be a gift from God to be on medication for depression, for suicidal thoughts, for a lot of things. So don't walk out of here thinking, saying, thinking that I'm saying that medication is not okay, that all you need to rely on is God, that counseling is not okay, um, that talking to somebody who's licensed and professional is, is not okay. Those things are good. But at the end of the day, I believe that we as a church have gotten really good at a therapy of suffering. Not necessarily a bad thing, hear me, because we need therapy of suffering, but at, at the end of the day, our theology of suffering must supersede our therapy of suffering. Amen? I'll say that our theology of suffering must supersede our therapy of suffering. So with that, we're going to jump in, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, right away. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And that's our aim tonight, right? We don't lose heart. In the midst of the world, in the midst of our sin and the sin of others, in the midst of the enemy and his, his attacks, his relentless lies, his whispers, wouldn't we love to say, man, I, I do not lose heart and really mean that and really believe that. We do not lose heart. A little tip here as, as you're reading um, this passage, the most important word in this line is the word therefore. Whenever you're reading scripture, okay, anything for that matter, but especially scripture, you have to pay attention to context. So when Paul says, therefore, what he's essentially saying is, because of what I just told you, I'm going to tell you this. So when you read a word like therefore, 
please, please, please figure out what he just said because what he's going to say is actually standing on top of what he is giving foundation of what he's about to say. So what did Paul just say? As we go back here and really quickly look at a little bit of what Paul had to say in chapter 3, this is kind of going to give the foundation for the first point there, Roman numeral 1 on, on, your, on your sheet. The foundation for my suffering, which, which scripturally I see from here, is my sufficiency in Christ. So back up to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. Here's what Paul says. As such is the confidence we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim as anything coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to become ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. This is the gospel. Amen. The gospel is that we had no way to God. We were literally dead in our sin. Sin doesn't make people bad. It makes people dead apart from Christ. Okay. I am dead in my sin. God comes in, makes me alive in Christ, credits Christ's righteousness and sufficiency to me, so that I can then say, I am sufficient in Christ. This is the, the, the bottom level of the bottom that we're standing on. We're talking about enduring suffering, okay? Because it is the righteousness of Christ that gives us confidence and assurance, not my ability to sit up here and preach the word, not your job, not your marriage, not your relationship, not your income, not your culture, not your family, righteousness in Christ, right? So those are the things that, that, that is what makes us sufficient. Everything else Good gifts from God, it's going to burn up. It's, going to, it's not going to be there in, in the new age. It's going to burn up. Sufficiency in Christ. Um, Paul uses the language here of, of the, the new covenant. We are ministers of a new covenant. Listen, every Christian, every Christian in this room, if you are in Christ, you are a minister of the new covenant. Some of you, that means a more formal role, pastor, worship leader, teacher, church administrator, whatever that means, you're, you're, you're a minister of, of, the, new, of the new covenant. For most of you, it probably means in, in a more different role, whether it's business or entertainment or media or service. Listen, whether you are a CEO or a janitor, you are a minister of the new covenant. Amen. No matter where you are. And that is what defines you. Your sufficiency in Christ. Your, your circumstances don't define you. Your marriages don't define you. Your family doesn't define you. Your income does not define you. Your job does not define you. God defines you in Christ. Bottom line, God defines you in Christ. And then at the same time, right, so God comes in, does what we cannot do, makes a way for us to be with him, for him to be literally in us, and we'll get to that in a minute. He doesn't leave us where he found us, amen? We start on this process called sanctification. Big, long word, just means progressive holiness. He's going to work it out in us. It's going to be hard. Um, look, look down, let's go down to verse 16 in chapter 3. Paul says it this way. But when one turns toward the Lord, the veil is removed. So we seek who Christ is. We put our trust in him. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is spirit. So it's the work of the spirit in us, beholding the glory of the Lord. We're transformed. And from glory to glory essentially means where we become holier and holier as the character of Christ is worked into us. Okay? And to be honest, we probably don't like to admit this, but one of the best ways to, towards holiness, one of the best chisels of our character is pain and suffering. Right? C.S. Lewis, um, one of my all-time favorite authors, uh, basically says it this way. Um, and he has a wonderful book called The Problem of Pain. And he basically says it this way. 
He says, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. It's, it insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to raise, to rouse a deaf world. So, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting excited. I can't help it. Let's go back to the text. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So we see Paul here basically saying, look, I don't lose heart, not because I'm so great, not because I'm so strong, not because I have the ability to just pull myself up by my bootstraps and make it, just white knuckle it and just hold on for dear life, but because I have sufficiency in Christ. It's the straight up grace and mercy of God. And if we don't get this, we're not going to go anywhere. Healing is going to be hard to come by. Holiness is going to be really hard to come by, right? Anytime we trust in the work of our hands, or the righteousness that's our own, we're building on sand, right? And the storm's going to come, and great will be the fall of us, of our house. So let's keep on reading. Verse 2, chapter 4. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, and in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing, I love this, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Christ is the image of God. There's a lot of ways we could go with this. I wish I had time to really break this passage down. But basically what I want, you, want us to catch from this, Paul is saying that his ministry, the ministry of this new covenant, is clearly based on the truth of the word of God. I'm not going to twist it. I'm not going to add to it. I'm not going to subtract to it. I'm going to teach you the full counsel Paul is saying, of the word of God. That is what brings faith. That is the thing that causes the veil to be removed, is the word of Christ is that was what brings faith. It says, in, it says in the Bible, the word of Christ brings faith. So I would love to say more, but we've got to keep on moving here. Um, Paul wants his message to be crystal clear. None of this is from me. It's, I'm just the vessel. All this is from God. Verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you, do you sense a theme here? <laughs> We proclaim as not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So as God commanded the light to shine in the beginning, so in the same way he shines his light into our hearts, revealing the face of God in the image of Christ Jesus. We see him for who he is, and we put our trust in him. If you are in Christ in this room tonight, that is your testimony. The, the details will differ. The circumstances, the timeline is different. But that is your testimony, church. Jesus shining, God shining his light into your heart, revealing the image of God in the face of Christ through the Holy Spirit. And we respond in faith and repentance. Amen. That's the gospel. So, as Christ is the image of God, that is the image that we know that we were created way back in Genesis chapter 3. Chapter 2, chapter 3. We're created in the image of God. The image is marred, right, through our parents, Adam and Eve. The image is marred, and then God initiates the process with us of restoring that image, of bringing the image more to bear so we become better reflections of who he is to the world, right? And again, pain, suffering is what causes that image to kind of, kind of come up to the surface as, we are, as sin is revealed. It's the old saying, you hit a guy in the, the thumb with a hammer, and what's really inside comes out, right? Right? So it's the pain that causes all that sin and darkness that's kind of lurking beneath the surface to kind of just rise. And you're like, wow, I, I didn't even know I struggled with that. I didn't know I, was, I, didn't know I struggled with anger. I, I didn't know I, I struggled with trusting. 
I had no idea. But the pain, right, as C.S. Lewis says, insists upon being attended to. Insists upon it. Many times, pleasure is wonderful. It can be a gift from God, but it can also bring numbness, right? Pain brings an acute awareness of how really desperate our situation is apart from Christ, right? It brings an awareness. I have a huge inability to save myself. And in pain and suffering, we have a divine opportunity to experience the presence of God. In pain and suffering, we have a divine opportunity to experience an increase in the knowledge and character of God in our lives. So reading on, verse 7. This is where Paul kind of hits you in the face with it. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. We are those jars of clay. I am that jar of clay. Uh, the psalmist says it perfectly, Psalm 103. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone. Its place knows it no more. I don't care how far you can throw a football. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how successful you are. I don't care about anything. Because at the end of the day, this sounds harsh, but at the end of the day, we're jars of clay, guys. Every single one of us. You say, well, I'm the prettiest jar of clay. You're still a jar of clay, dude. Okay? Right? Uh, driving home from the grocery store this morning, you guys notice an increase in the goose population, right? They're, they're, all, they're like all over the place. And uh, I was driving home, and there, you know, there was a, a family. I'm, I'm assuming a family. Um, the, the parents on either side and, and the little ducklings in the middle, right, were crossing the road. And there was like a road jam. There was like five cars on each side waiting. You would have thought the Pope was crossing the road. Everybody just screeches to a halt. We don't want to kill the geese, right? Um, literally, these little maybe third-pound fur balls, and I'm in a big couple thousand pound death machine right driving right at them and they just walk right in front of me i'm like what a what a bunch of idiots right and it, and it really struck me are we really any different than those geese because we, we walk around life thinking that we're invincible that we're always going to be here and we have no idea or concept of how fragile life is do you realize that the very fact that we woke up this morning and had life and breath was grace and mercy of god the very fact that I'm having my vocal cords are working and I'm speaking and I'm reading, mercy and grace, straight up. That's the only thing that causes us to be here. Right, so God places this treasure, this revelation of Christ, um, in, in lowly vessels, jars of clay, right? Um, so what are jars of clay? Fragile, easily broken. Um, we go, they get into verse 8 and 9. He talks about affliction. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. And struck down, but not destroyed. Really quick, four kind of sources of pain we can kind of pull out of this. Um, the verse, afflicted in every way. Some of your translations will say hard-pressed in every side. Some of you are in seasons of life right now or have been there when literally nothing is going right, right? Like somebody asks you, hey, how's it going? Well, how much time do you got, right? I got about 10 things going wrong right now. My girlfriend just broke up with me. My roommate's an idiot, Right? Um, my, my, my grades are bad. My boss is really being mean and the, and the twins are terrible, right? It's, it's, it's just a bad month, right? Lost my Madden game, man. Um, just a lot going on, right? The walls are kind of closing in on you, uh, perplexed. So in the Greek, this word actually means to have no way. So some of you, you're, you're kind of foggy and confused in your thought life. You read the Bible and you, and you struggle to gain understanding, right? You lay awake at night. And just watch the clock tick because your brain is spinning and you can't turn it off. You can't go to sleep, 
right? You have questions that nobody has answers to. Anybody feel what I'm saying about that? You're, in, your, in your mind, your mind is racing. Your thoughts are racing. Persecuted. Um, we don't know persecution in the American church like a lot of places do, but at the same time, we do know some persecution. Amen. Some of you are from families that don't know Jesus, have no idea the crazy prayers you pray at Christmas time. They're like, whoa, dude, back off, right? Thanksgiving time, maybe some of you are in workplaces where you're persecuted. Some of you are called to be evangelists. You go to the street. Ben was telling the story er- earlier. Last week he told the story of going to the streets um, and people just shooting you down, laughing, persecution. And then struck down, right? These are the circumstances that are once in a lifetime maybe, but cause us to really question, is God really real? Is his call on my life a real thing, right? Maybe it's um, get fired from your job. Maybe a parent dies. Maybe your parents get a divorce. You're sitting across from the doctor and he says the word cancer, right? There's innumerable sources of pain in our lives. These are just a a few, right? Um, The reality is we can plan and prepare and give our best human effort, right? At the end of the day, we are going to be in storms that we had no idea were coming, and we are completely unprepared for. One of the little Christian sayings that we use all the time that I can't stand is, God will never give you more than you can handle. Please never say that to anybody. Please. I believe that God routinely, intentionally, gives us way more than we can handle, right? to build reliance, to build trust, right, to do a work in us and through us. So please never say that. <laughs> Somebody who's struggling especially, <laughs> don't worry, God will give never, never give you more can handle. Well, I'm there, bro. Okay, here I am. All right, please never say that. Okay, so within that, what I want to do for the rest of our time is kind of give what I see as a biblical theology and the purposes of God in suffering. Um, there's kind of a, two overarching purposes that I see and they're there in your notes. The first one is relational purposes of God and suffering. The second is personal purposes. Each one of these purposes has kind of two legs that are holding it up. So that's how we're going to kind of structure this. So starting with the relational purposes of God, and that first leg is fellowship with Christ. So Second Corinthians chapter 4, we're in verse 10 now, 10 and 11. Um, Always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So for Paul, basically the, the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus was the model and the fuel for his ministry. Right? He, that's, that was it. In the daily dying we go through, the affliction, the confusion, and persecution, we are literally fellowshipping in the sufferings of Christ. In, in 1 Peter chapter 4, we find out that there may be a lot of responses to suffering, but for the Christian, one of a response to suffering is not surprise. So as Christians, our response to suffering should not be surprised. Peter says it this way, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange, it's normal, right? Storm's going to come. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See, Paul knew all about fellowshipping the sufferings of Christ, didn't he? If if anybody's qualified to say that statement, it's this dude, right? So later on in chapter 11, he kind of gives the laundry list of his sufferings, and it's legit. Okay, I'm just going to read it for you really quick. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. That's 39, which is a lot. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. I mean, danger from your own people, right? Christians, we are probably the nastiest people to each other a lot of the time. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. You see a, a theme there, danger. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and am I not weak? Who is made to fall and am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. Paul knew what it was to fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. He took seriously his call to take up his cross and follow his master who also suffered before him. He's a jar of clay and he knows it. In suffering, we get to experience fellowship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And if I just stop there, that would be, that would be enough. Fellowship with the Lord of the universe, are you kidding me? Because we suffer with him. At the same time, Paul then gives us a revelation of how that death that we experience with Jesus, that suffering, actually can produce life in the people around us. This is really, really cool. So chap- chapter 4, verse 11, So death is at work in us, but life in you. Life in you. So Paul seems to be indicating that the suffering I go through, the death that I die every day, can actually produce life in people around me. So he asked the question, how, how is that? Read on, verse 12, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Another tip about reading the Bible, about studying, whenever the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, go back and read the context because it's awesome. <laughs> These authors, when they were quoting the Old Testament, they know what they're doing. So when they quote something like this, he says, I believe and so I spoke. Paul is quoting Psalm 116. Let me give you the context of that verse, and it'll give some light into what he's saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. All right? Verse 1 through 10, Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ears to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. Give some pretty good context to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, doesn't it? I, I can say that in the midst of affliction, Paul is saying, because, listen, I believe the gospel. I'm not going to sit here tonight and tell you, if, if you're struggling with this, to, to go ahead and rededicate your life to Christ and ask him into your life again. What I'm going to tell you tonight is, please, with everything you have, continue to believe that the gospel is true. Continue to believe that the gospel is true. If you are suffering, God has not abandoned you. He has not turned a deaf ear to you. He has not forsaken you. No. God has entrusted you with suffering so that he might be seen as glorious through you and in you. So if you're suffering tonight, if you're sitting here saying, I don't, God, I don't know where you are. This is hard. The gospel is still true. Keep believing the gospel. So we need to ask ourselves some hard questions tonight about my suffering, right? So some questions you might ask yourself tonight, and 
Um, some of you, this will say some of you different ways, but how would those around me describe my suffering? People around me, do they, do they know that I'm suffering? How, how would they know? How would they describe how I'm walking through suffering? Does my suffering cause me to look inward instead of Godward? Does my suffering drive me to complain, to gossip, to get angry, to get bitter? Does my suffering cause me to publicly or even internally dishonor people on Twitter, on Facebook, right? Does my suffering drive me to dishonor people? Am I suffering in a way that is, is actually working life in the people around me? Am I calling on the name of the Lord Jesus within my affliction or, or am I just sitting in, in, as a victim within my suffering? Do I believe and speak life in the midst of my affliction? I believe the gospel. And this is the one that's really hard. Can I get my eyes off my circumstances so that in the midst of my suffering, I can enter into the suffering of others around me? Right? I just said that and felt conviction fall on me. So if that's what we get out of this, this is great. Because I, this is, I mean, my suffering causes us to turn inward, right? I love the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. You know, tra- sold up into slavery by his brothers, wrongly imprisoned, um, left to rot in jail. And, and this dude has the wherewithal in the midst of his suffering to notice when these two other guys in prison are struggling. He says, what's, what's up, guys? How you doing? I pray that I would have the Spirit of God in me to be able to see that. I don't think I would. I'll be honest with you. I pray that God would allow me to get to a place where my suffering would not inhibit my ability to enter into the suffering of others. Right? So if you are broken, if you are crushed, pray that out of your brokenness, out of the ashes would arise the aroma of Christ and not the stench of bitterness, the stench of anger, right? But the aroma of Christ would arise out of your brokenness and would actually draw people to Jesus because of your brokenness, not in spite of it, but because of it, because of the way in which you endure, because of the way in which you trust in the gospel, trust in Jesus. Amen? And then Paul brings it around, as he always does, verse 15, for it is all for your sake, talking to the people again, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving. This is really important, five words, but five really important words, to the glory of God. At the end of the day, that's what, that's what it is, the glory of God. See, the gospel frees us up to have to make a big deal about ourselves, and it frees us up to make a big deal about him in the midst of all of our life's circumstances. Right? We are free to bring glory to God instead of having to work to bring glory to ourselves, which is good news because we are not very glorious at all (laughs) right but he is he's worthy of glory and honor and praise so god has a relational purpose in suffering with christ and in the way we walk through suffering drawing other people unto christ because of the way in which we endure and then god also has i believe a personal purpose in our suffering the first one being working christ likeness in me verse 16 in chapter 4 so we do not lose heart again there it is Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Scripture does a lot of talking about God doing a work in us, right? Hebrews, we read that God is working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. In Philippians, we read that it is God who works in in us both to will and work for his good pleasure. Romans 5 states that we are su- the suffering we are doing is actually producing endurance, character, and hope. Really good news. Anybody, anybody in this room know Romans 8.28 by heart? Almost everybody. I call it the uh, the coffee cup verse of Christianity because everybody has either a coffee cup or a T-shirt with Romans 8.28 on it, right? 
It's, we like to throw it around, right? So Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Great promise. Amen. Context is everything. What this verse is not saying is that all things are going to work together so that you get the job that you want. All things are not going to work together. It may. It may not. All things are going to work together so you have the perfect marriage that you want. All things are going to work together so I can get that, that boat that I really want. Right? Keep reading. Please keep reading. Right? All we know, all for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes, for those whom he foreknew, don't freak out about, okay, we're not going to get into the foreknowledge predestination, I promise. Basically what this is saying is if you are a Christian, God foreloved you, foreknew, made provision ahead of time for you to be in the family of God. So this is for you. For those whom he foreknew as Christians, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So to say that all things work together for good has nothing Nothing to do with comfort, nothing to do with earthly possession, and everything to do with Christ-likeness. Everything to do with Christ-likeness, which means God will be relentless with us in forming his image in us. Thank God that he is so much more committed to that process than we are. Amen? He is going to be relentless about pursuing your heart, forming his image in you, working all things together for the good, which is good in his sight. And then Paul again brings it about to a close because just when we start thinking of the things about us, God is really into us because he is. God loves us. Again, Paul says this, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Talking about Jesus, really weird language, right? Firstborn, what does that mean? Firstborn is a Greek word, prototakos. It actually, in the Greek, means supreme, preeminent. So the reason that God works everything together for our Christ-likeness is so that he would be seen as glorious and not us, right? So the glory is his and not ours, right? So that he would be seen as the firstborn, the most supreme, preeminent being of everybody. That is good news, amen? So we have to, have to get our eyes off of what is good in our sight and have to get in line with what is good in God's sight. What is good in God's kingdom? What is good in his economy? What he's saying here is what is good in my sight is the image of my son in you. He's going to be relentless about pursuing that image in you. Relentless. So in your suffering, God is working in you. For you could be humility, patience. I'm going to know patience is fun to develop, right? Wow. Tenderness, compassion, graciousness, joy, kindness, peace, goodness. He's working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. And I would so much rather have God renew me in my inner life through suffering than renew my outer life through comfort. I'll say that again. I would much rather have God renew my inner life through suffering than renew my outer life through comfort. Because it's going to burn up. It's going to be gone. So God is working his image into you and me through suffering. We're working to restore his image in us. God is also doing something really awesome and giving us a hope for something that, that, is, that is way better than anything the world could offer. Number, so the second leg of this, he's working at hope for eternity. I mean, this is where it gets really, really stinking good. Okay, Verse 17, for this momentary light affliction, right? Remember that list of things he just ran down? He calls it a momentary light affliction. What a perspective changer. Amen? This momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're going to be gone. The things that are unseen are eternal. So as our suffering works the character of Christ in us, we increasingly become a people who have a greater capacity to enjoy God in this life and a greater desire and yearning to have the eternal enjoyment of God in the age to come. Suffering actually helps us live in light of eternity. Helps us yearn for it and groan for it and desire eternity. This, in chapter 5, right after Paul talks about suffering, chapter 5, keep on reading. In 2 Corinthians says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, our bodies, this, this, this earth, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. On earth we groan. We suffer, longing to be put in our heavenly, heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed. This is important. So catch this. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So what he's saying here is, it's not that we're just trying to escape earth. It's not that we're just trying to get out of here because it's, it's so bad, but because eternity is so glorious, right? We're not going to be found all of a sudden just unclothed, but better clothes, a glorified body to enjoy God forever. Amen. He who prepared us for this very thing is God. It was his idea. He's got good ideas. Who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. It's the Spirit of God in us. The deposit of the Spirit of God that bears witness to eternity. That causes us to yearn for the things of God, for eternal enjoyment of God. And in suffering, we're acutely aware that things are not the way they should be. Amen? It's pretty clear that things are not the way they should be. We see it in our own lives. Um, as our daily following of Jesus caused our bodies to literally waste away. Um, tense, as Paul calls them, they, they waste away. We see it in creation. Paul says in Romans 8 that the entire creation has been subject to futility. All of creation, and all of creation itself is groaning in eager anticipation of the restoration of all things. Right? If you just close your eyes with me for a minute. I'm going to read you a description out of Revelation chapter 21 that's going to blow your mind real quick. So close your eyes and picture this with me, okay? Just really really picture this, because this is, this is our future in Christ. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I am making all things new. Hallelujah. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. But its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night. Friends, this is our future in Christ. This is what the suffering of this age causes us to yearn for. And this is real. That's the best part. It's not some fairy tale. This is, this is real, right? This is coming. It's going to come. And so if our suffering causes us to yearn for that even more, then bring on the suffering. <laughs> Amen. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. But I want to yearn for eternity with God. Right? I pray that we as the church, right, would wake up 
as a people who see suffering as divine opportunity, right, to fellowship with Christ, to draw lost people unto the Lord, not in spite of our suffering, but because of our suffering, who will be a people who see suffering as an opportunity to work the character of Christ into our lives, and to see suffering as an opportunity to yearn and groan for what is to come. Surely, surely it will come, right? So where do we go from here? I do want to give some quick application. We'll do some, I, want, I really want to do some ministry time. I know there's some of you that really um, are suffering right now. Three things that, that we can do. Number one is pray with faith, okay? We have a God who heals. We have a God who moves. We have a God who intervenes, right? Is it wrong to pray for God to intervene in my suffering? I do not believe it is wrong. Is it wrong for God to pray, to pray to God for healing within my suffering? It is not wrong to pray for healing, right? Pray that God would heal. Jesus in the garden, Father, let this cup pass. Paul saying, I, I prayed three times that this thorn would be taken away. Pray with faith because we have a God who sees. We have a God who loves. We have a God who heals. We have a God who is alive, living, moving, active today. At the same time, okay, surrender with confidence. You have a God who knows what he's doing. You have a God who sees all things. He makes the best decisions. He is the best leader of our lives, right? So that's why I believe that's why Jesus added the tagline, not my will, but yours be done. Paul prayed three times, Lord, take this thorn from me. What did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Essentially, it's a really gentle no, right? <laughs> Basically, Paul got, a, Paul got a no. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. We spent a lot of time, I think, in that, in that text trying to figure out what was, the, what was the thorn? I, we, I think it was this, and I think it was a stomach, and I think it was this, blah, blah. That's not the point of this, I don't think. I think the point is to show that God knows what he's doing, right? He knows what he's doing. He sees all things. He's not asleep at the wheel. He's not surprised by what's going on. He knows. He sees. And we can take refuge in that we have a God who knows and sees. And he is way more interested in our Christ-likeness. He's way more interested in our hope for eternity. He's way more interested in us enduring suffering as a means of bringing people into the family of God than he is about prospering these tents, these bodies, because they're going to they're gonna waste away. They're going to be gone. Okay? Pray with faith, surrender with confidence, and, beloved, gaze with intensity. I beg you, gaze with intensity. We spend a lot of time. So what suffering does is it makes us turn inward. I focus on my circumstances. I focus on my sin. I focus on other people's sin. I focus on whatever is going wrong in my life. Stop focusing on your suffering and focus on your Savior. Stop focusing on your sin and focus on your Savior. Do we need to talk about sin? Yeah. Do we need to repent from sin? Yes. Do we need to talk about suffering? Absolutely. At the end of the day, the Bible teaches that focus on Jesus is what brings life and freedom. 2 Corinthians 4, we just said it. Look to the things that are seen, not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. 2 Corinthians 3, we read it again earlier. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the image of this one degree of glory to another. Beholding the glory of the Lord. Colossians 3, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. Stop hyper-focusing on your suffering and focus on your Savior. So pray with faith, surrender with confidence, gaze with intensity. Amen. I'm going to ask Ben, I'm going to, ask ben to come up and do some worship. I, I really, I know there's many of you who are suffering right now. I know there's so many of you that are going through things. I pray that you didn't feel belittled tonight. I pray that you felt encouraged by the word of God tonight, that your suffering is not in vain, 
that your suffering has a, a purpose and God actually loves you enough to pursue his image in you. So it's all good. If you, I'll just close your eyes with me real quick. I just want to take some time and just be still before the Lord. A lot of information tonight. I know some things hit people in different ways and some people stuff was hard, maybe hard to agree with, but just go before the Lord right now and say, God, here's where I'm at. God, here's what's going on. You know anyway. I want to say that even though I am afflicted, I believe. So take a moment here, you and the Lord. Just open yourself up. heaviness in the room if, if you're feeling that heaviness in your life right now and maybe it's tonight maybe it's for the last week the last month the last year would you just um, be so bold as to go ahead and put a hand up in the air and as those of you around are seeing hands go in the air would you please just gather around these beloved children of God and we're going to pray go ahead and put those hands really high in the air and people, people gather around and I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to tell you to pray. And I'm going to ask you to speak life. I'm going to ask you to, to prophesy life into these beloved children. We're going to pray in faith and surrender with confidence that we have a God who knows what he is doing. So, Father, you see all of these hearts. God, we can't hope to know every circumstance, but you do. So we pray in faith that you would move Holy Spirit in Jesus' name that your kingdom would come and will be done right now as it is in heaven. God, that you would move in a way that we would never forget, that this would be a turning point for those who are suffering. God, that you would change our perspective, that as we pray, that we wouldn't try to change your mind, but that you would change our mind. That your thoughts would become our thoughts, that your ways would become our ways. So we speak life to where there is death. We speak joy to where there is mourning and ashes. We speak hope to where there is hopelessness. In Jesus' name, go ahead and start to pray. Wherever you're at in the room, start to pray.
God, we pray that you would bring healing tonight. We pray that you would, more than anything, bring yourself. Holy Spirit, that you would increase and that we would decrease. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your life-giving power, your resurrection power in our lives. So if you're in a place where you're praying, continue to pray. We're going to transition into worship. And the beautiful thing about worshiping after a message like this is that we don't have to take all of our sufferings and all things that are wrong and just kind of forget about them in worship. We actually bring those in worship to God. A lot of the psalms and a lot of the prayers in worship in the psalms are actually laments. to say, God, here's what's going on. And as you're doing that, retrace the blessings of God in your life. Retrace the faithfulness of God in your life. And it will cause you to worship. It will spur you on to worship. So we're going to worship now. And if you feel like you can't say the words to the song yet, that's okay. If they're just empty words to you right now because of where you're at, then continue to pray, continue to pour your heart out to God. Um, but if you feel like you do want to stand and worship with us, please, let's, let's have some time of worship and really go for the Lord and say, here's me, all of me, here's where I'm at. Pray that you would use my suffering in a way that it would draw people to you. Thank you that you let me fellowship with you in suffering. Thank you that you are working in me that which is pleasing in your sight. And God, I want to yearn for eternity with you. I want to enjoy you forever. And it's all for your glory. So Jesus, thank you for being here. Thank you that you are alive. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and come and come again. And as we worship, that you would literally live in our worship. You would inhabit our praises. Thank you that we can have, we can take heart. Not because we're so great, but because you are with us, you are in us, and you are great and glorious to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.